well I'll say is like oftentimes when I work with like kind of uh middle high school or university bands is that you can tell they really like are internalizing the music in a way that like can only come really with like practicing it together for a long period of Hi guys time. Scott Camaro Masters of the Musiverse uh, thanks for joining me once again. It's been a long time since I put something out there. Uh, to be honest, it's been a difficult school year for a lot of people. I'm uh, I'm not excluded from that. And I just need to take some time off to focus on my family and to focus on my, my main job. But I love doing this side gig and I love these interviews I get to do like this one with this amazing composer Viet Quang, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Please take a second, subscribe to either the podcast or the YouTube channel. Both would be great. Um, because it helps. And and if you could go one step further and recommend this to someone that you think might enjoy it, uh, really trying to get to a really crucial number, which is um, a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Uh, it's gonna take probably another year, year and a half before I get there uh, and I need your help. So please do that for me. Um, you know, also, uh, I, I wanna give a shout out quickly before this interview to, uh, to Zoom. It might be a little bit odd to do that, uh, but Zoom really came through for me. I, I did this interview back in August of 2021 and didn't touch it because I knew that I just wanted to wait till later, take some time to edit it. And it essentially got lost. Um, for the details are just super boring and I won't tell you them, but Zoom really helped connect me with the right people to get it back. Uh, I'm so thankful because as you're gonna see, this is a fantastic interview. Viet Quang is a composer uh, with a unique voice. If you haven't listened to his music yet, go and listen to Diamond Tide, which we're going to we're going to listen to or we're going to talk about in a little bit. There's a great piece called Renewal. Um, he has this great duet for uh, for oboe, uh, oboes rather, um, and just I mean tons of stuff. So go visit the website. Links are below, with along with links to a lot of recordings and different things we talk about in this conversation. So we're going to talk about uh, you know his music, um, some of his early experiences. Um, he talks a little bit about how early improvisation later on led to composition for him. Uh, and uh, and then we're going to really dig into Diamond Tide and talk about that piece. It's a great grade two piece uh, that doesn't sound like a grade two. It doesn't sound like a lot of stuff. It's a very unique piece. It does some cool things with Crotales. Uh, really excited for you to hear this interview and just continue this endeavor. Uh, keep on listening. And uh, thank you so much. All right. Welcome to Masters of the Musiverse. Uh, today's guest is composer Viet Quang. Um, I have to tell you, Viet, I was actually nervous about this interview. Um, and I want you to take that as a sign of how much I love your music. Um, I actually did about 20 minutes of meditating before we started because I was getting the butterflies in the stomach. Um, I've really, I, I think it was probably in like April or um, March of this year where I, where I found your website. And I was like, oh, this is so good. Um, you know, renewal was the first thing I listened to, um, which is such a unique piece. Um, and then I, I've been, you know, slowly listening to other stuff. And right before I listened to there and that piece, wow, it and it's so different from the other things I heard from you. So um, anyway, thank you for for joining us uh, today on Masters of the Musiverse. Oh, thanks for having me. And I'm so glad my music uh, moves you in that way. Yeah, I'm excited to, to work on some of it this year with my students. So I'm always curious about when music resonated with people and when it became a passion. Can you briefly speak about some of your early music experiences and when it grabbed you? Yeah, uh, well, I started piano when I was pretty young, around like five. Um, 
not because I particularly wanted to, but my mom thought it would be good for me to do. And so she put me in like Suzuki piano and I didn't enjoy it because Suzuki is a very um, regimented sort of method where you play like very specific pieces in a specific order. And um, all I really wanted to play were Disney songs because it's what I loved as a kid. And since they didn't let me do that, I just wasn't really interested in practicing piano ever. Um, so that only lasted maybe like a year or two. And then when I got to middle school, I joined band. But because I had a background, um, you know, with piano and reading music, they uh, thought that I would be a good fit for percussion. So I joined band in sixth grade. Um, and I was really in band around like maybe seventh or eighth grade where I really started to really love music. Um, and I think part of it also was when you're a, like a young budding pianist, you only are making music by yourself, but when you're in a band, obviously it's with several other people. Um, and that was something I really valued about it. Yeah. When did you start composing? I was around, well, I don't really have like a specific, like, I don't even know if I could think of like a specific year in which I started to really think about composing. It was more like, um, well, I mentioned how I didn't like to practice piano when I was young. Um, and I would kind of trick my mom into thinking I was practicing by making up my own music yeah. at the piano and like improvising things. And she didn't know the difference. <laughs> She's just happy that I was like sitting at the piano and like, you know, pressing the keys down. Um, yeah. So those were just like improvisations I made. And I kept doing that even when I picked up piano again around like the end of elementary school, I, I found like a less strict teacher or my parents found a less strict teacher and I got to play the music I wanted to. And I remember playing Pachelbel's Canon in D and um, kind of figuring out I could make my own melodies in the right hand over the left hand. Um, and around middle school too is when I started to, when I really started to love being in band, I started to um, kind of uh, take those piano improvisations and transfer them to instruments that my friends played. Um, and I would write these little like ensemble pieces in finale notepad that were meant to like imitate music by, you know, Robert W. Smith or Robert Sheldon or something. And yeah. Uh, yeah it was kind of just a gradual hobby that I had that turned into more of like a serious uh, thing for me. Did you, uh, did, did you study at, at a university? I, I uh, yes. Ended up in your background, I guess. Uh, well, I didn't study composition like formally until I got to college. Um, I never really had a composition teacher growing up. Um, I've been going through some of my old school work at my parents' house and I found like some of my early music that I wrote. Um, and I found like all, all these pieces I wrote in middle school and high school, and it really didn't uh, improve much over those years, I'll say. <laughs> um, and they were, uh, you know, stuff that you could see like any kind of overly enthusiastic band kid, like who wants to write music, right? Like, mm -hmm stuff that imitates the music I mentioned or is like very uh, much like a marching band show or something. Right, yeah. 
It's interesting you mentioned Disney because that's what that's what did it for me as a young trombonist. I I I like to play, but I never practiced. And I was in a music store and they had a, the Aladdin book. Mm -hmm. Oh, I gotta have that. And like it was like seventh grade because I love the movie so much. And um and and that's when like I was like, oh, this is like a you know a fun thing to do this practicing thing. So yeah. Uh, we're going to spend a chunk of time now talking about your piece, Diamond Tide. Um, it's a grade three, I believe, um, piece for band. Uh, how did this piece originate? Where did it, where did it come from? Uh, well, it was commissioned by uh, Cheryl Floyd, um, formerly a Flower Mound, not Flower Mound, um, Hill Country Middle School in Austin. And... I think, well, I mean, she has such a history of commissioning so many uh, composers in our field. And um, I think she was looking for another one. And I, I'm pretty sure uh, John Mackey tipped her off to me, which um, was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, she just contacted me and asked if I'd be interested in writing a piece. And I'd never written a piece for like a young grade level like that before, at least as a professional composer. I obviously wrote like, middle school level pieces as a middle schooler um, <laughs> but I never written one like kind of uh you know as a professional yet so I decided to do it and I'm so glad I did um it, it was like a difficult piece to write just because um I had never like written a middle school piece before and um just like writing with a box kind of yeah know? yeah and I mean, I'll say that like every piece, even if you're writing a piece for like a professional symphony orchestra has limitations, mm -hmm. um, no matter what, like yeah. it, you'd be kind of foolish to, you know, think there aren't any and write for like 20 sets of timpani or something. Right. So <laughs> there's always going to be limitations on what you can do. It's just a middle school. It's like a very specific kind of limitation. Um, yeah. But the thing that isn't as limited compared to like a professional group is that bands get so much rehearsal time and can really sink their teeth into a piece whereas professional groups oftentimes put things together in like three rehearsals so you can like write harder stuff but it might not be like as uh tight or um well I'll say is like oftentimes when I work with like kind of uh middle high school or university bands is that you can tell they really like are internalizing the music in a way that like can only come really with like practicing it together for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. You mentioned John Mackey um, in, in both in this interview and then in the program notes, I'm curious about his connection with this piece and maybe really... your connection to him in general too. Yeah. I think I met him years ago at Midwest. Um, and like, I got a picture with him, like everyone does at Midwest. <laughs> I remember him being like, oh, send me your music. And I sent him some of my music that I had written um, like very recently back then. And that was over like 10 years ago. I was like probably almost, almost exactly 10 years ago, actually, um, that I first met him. And I sent him my music and I guess he liked what he heard and he was really nice in the email back to me. And um, I think he always just has been kind of rooting for me, which I mean, I'm very grateful for since he's like so influential and um, I'm a big fan of his music too. I mean, his music is so effective and he always does exactly what he sets out to do in a piece and that's hard to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was really just that. And I think he had written um, some pieces for Cheryl as well. And, you know, I think she, uh, she uh, took his opinion seriously about maybe like recommendations for composers. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Um, so it was uh, the program notes are really fascinating on this piece, Diamond Tide. I don't know if we need to go through them, you know, in detail. I personally, I love the idea that perhaps Neptune and Uranus have seas of liquid diamond on them. Um, I enjoyed reading that. So I, I, this is kind of an odd question, maybe, but did any of the stuff that ended up in the music predate that information? Like, were there did you have a, do you have a sketchbook somewhere that you drew from, or did all this come after? the that kind of research you did about melting diamonds um honestly i can't remember i feel like i read that article first and then mm -hmm. um it all came from there like okay like the idea of melting diamonds that's really cool like what could sound like that oh maybe like metallic percussion they sound sparkly like if you are watching like a commercial, a diamond commercial, they'll probably have some sort of sparkly sounds as like they have lights shimmering on the diamond, right? And yeah. so sparkly percussion, great. Well, if it's melting, what sounds like melting? Usually when the pitch bends down. So if I put the, you know, if I, if you hit a gritali and hit it in water, the pitch bends down, or if you hit a, like a wine glass and it sounds like this like kind of shimmery, glassy sort of sound. And if you tilt it, the pitch bends down as well. So um, everything kind of came out of that. Yeah. So I'd love you to, if you can, take us kind of through the piece and just if you can talk about some like insider information on, on this composition. Yeah. So, well, the piece is in two movements. In the first movement, um, everything came out of this submerged Critali idea. Um, like a Critali has two octaves and I only use the lower octave because um, I don't love the sound of really high, super high like <laughs> metallic percussion. But so I use a low D to start the piece and it sounds two octaves higher. So it's actually quite high, but you hit the D and then you submerge it down. So it's a D, C, and then another percussionist plays that C. And then the next uh, percussionist plays a G, which then submerges down. So D, C, G, F. And then uh, the last Critali is a C down to B flat. And then it kind of resets. So the whole melody, D down to C, G down to F, and then C down to B flat, is like the motive of the piece. It's like the Critalis themselves like wrote the melody for me. Um, and it's just kind of like all spins out of that. <laughs> At first you have like, the submerged Critalis and then things layer on top of it. And then I kind of compress the timing between those diff three different um, submerged notes until at the end, not the end, but the big climax of the movement where it's supposed to sound very cinematic. You have this melody that's played by like the trumpets <laughs> and it's, uh, it's one of my favorite things actually I've written for a band that first movement. Um, Cause I, I like to think that I know the kind of middle height, middle school and high school band repertoire pretty well, just because I grew up in that world. And I've like kept tabs with it, obviously, as a composer. And 
I'm proud of it because I don't think there are many pieces that sound like that for that grade level. Um, so yeah, and uh, there's also kind of this, uh, these um, clarinet and saxophone like triplets in it that originally I remember the say da 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 and um I wanted to have like the seconds and thirds kind of echo the triplets of the first clarinets and the second uh alto sax echo the first alto sax but then realizing like you know for middle school maybe not everyone playing triplets is a good idea and I remember being kind of like bummed about it because I was like oh echoing is something I love to do in my music um and I couldn't do that but then I was like oh if I have like the third clarinets and second alto sax like echo and eighth notes it's kind of cool because it's almost like the echo is like a slowed down version of the original thing um so you got these kind of polyrhythms that end up sounding more fluid and like this kind of liquid rhythm sort of thing um it's kind of where you turn something like that could be thought of as like detrimental into actually an asset uh so kind of writing a middle school piece where I had to be conscious of the third clarinets kind of being maybe not as strong as the first. Um, kind of turning that into like a benefit of the piece in the way that it's written. So um, I, this is just an interest of mine. You don't title the first or second movements. That, um, it, did you ever have titles in mind for either of those? No, not really. Originally, I was thinking the piece would just be played through straight through, but I kind of like having the two different sections distinct and gives the percussionist time to reset. Yeah. Um, and also, I think just for that grade level, just giving like everyone a time to like kind of regroup and take a break because at the beginning of the second movement, not a lot of um, only the percussionists play, and it's like a while before everyone comes in. So if someone's lost, you know. It makes it worse if they were like lost earlier in the first movement, you know. Um, yeah, but otherwise, I I just think of like just having kind of a slow and a fast movement. Um, it's kind of like my other piece for band, sound and smoke, which is like a grade five or six, but it's like a slow and a fast movement as well. I I can't remember if it was in your notes for sound and smoke, but you you had titled the the movements but you also didn't want that to box the listener in mm -hmm. is that did that was I guess that maybe that's probably part of that's funny I feel like that probably was like my thinking yeah uh, this kind of like a title like diamond tide I think you can go your mind can go in so many different places for, and just kind of like letting them uh letting the listener decide what they want to imagine um, yeah, I like that because for me in, in, during the second movement, I was actually imagining like diamonds raining down into this, like, like sea mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm, I'm glad to have that, you know, ability to take my own interpretation of it. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Uh, when, like, I'll just say like, you know, anyone's welcome to have their own interpretation, but actually when I think of that movement, I think of like, kind of like a a storm at sea, like a storm and a sea of liquid diamond. And yeah. of course, with the storm comes rain. And of course, if there's, you know, liquid diamond in the sea, there must be raining liquid diamonds too. And um, so it's funny, we were thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I'd encourage you know anybody to to listen to this piece. There'll be links to it. Um, it is just very and like you said, there's not a lot of stuff in that grade three range that sounds like this. You know, that's um, I, I don't I don't I don't know. I don't think I want to try to put words to it. It just it, like most of the time you're talking about a grade four at least for the kind of sounds that you're getting out of this. So um, it's that's just. I appreciate it as someone that programs grade three music Mm -hmm. um, have great composers writing for that. Um, And then my last question in, in, in this, and it can be tied to your writing in general. Um, Did you ever, do you remember anything specific with diamond tide of encountering like writer's block? And if not that piece, just in general, how do you deal with that? Like getting stumped? Oh yeah. I, this was a piece I had huge writer's block on actually wrote a different sort of piece before what ended up being diamond tied yeah sure probably like like really made her nervous because i'm so young <laughs> but like originally my plan and i worked on it for a long time was a piece that was inspired by renaissance music um and it just wasn't working and i just wasn't liking what i was writing and i just ended up like throwing it away and then I, after that you like are like can i even write music anymore as i don't even know how and like writer's block you know but I think oftentimes when I have that um problem I just kind of take a break from it all like I think some people like they write every single day and I don't do that because I just get burnt out on it and I think when I am burned I think most of the time when I'm having writer's block is because I'm burnt out or I just uh don't feel fresh or creative or inspired. And so it's just taking a little bit of time and then like thinking about maybe not the notes you're gonna write, but what the piece can be about for a while really helps. And that's like kind of how I came to this idea with that scientific article and um, how Diamond High came to be was like just kind of taking a break and forgetting everything I'd written in the piece before and starting fresh because my mind was fresh and the music I think sounds fresh because of that is like finding some kind of a writing oftentimes inspiration for a piece like do you do you feel like you need to start there um Um, not necessarily but sometimes it's like visual art as well um can inspire my music um back when I was younger I like kind of wanted to be like a painter more than any sort of musician so um I like visual art quite a bit um but sometimes my music's just inspired by music itself or just cool sounds or objects or whatever um like renewal I know you mentioned is like the beginning is kind of um taken from this percussion quartet that I wrote called water wine brandy brine and it's for crystal glasses I mean, Diamond Tide has crystal glasses, crystal glasses as well. Um, but uh, just like the piece is inspired by the objects of crystal glasses and what you can do with them. Um, so I try to like uh, take inspiration from everything just because um, otherwise you're kind of limiting yourself if you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, you bring up the crystal glasses too and, and the crotales. I'm curious, like with a piece like this, did you know you could get those sounds from those things or did you have to experiment with them, bef- you know, as you were writing? 
Yeah, I mean, well, with the crystal glasses, I had written that piece, the percussion quartet before Renewal or Diamond Tide. So I knew that they could do that <laughs> because I had actually like I had bought like 30 crystal glasses and I had experimented with them myself. And so I figured that out. And the Cretali thing, I feel like I heard it. I like I wasn't the first person to use that. And so I just can't remember exactly who like I heard it used by first. It's such an eerie sound. Like it. Yeah. There's something um, about that drop and pitch that just. <laughs> it's yeah, because we. Always, I mean, we always think of percussion instruments as fixed, right? Like, right. Yeah. What you play is what you get. Like you know, <laughs> but just so like being able to like bend the pitch of something so fixed, like it's like a metal object. You can't yeah. do much to yeah, it. it. Sounds metal. So like you're bending metal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could like run over a Katali with a car and it would sound the same pitch probably, but like for some reason, like melt or you could like make it sound like it's melting from submerging it, which is so cool. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I feel like I heard it from somewhere, but I just can't remember where, or maybe it was from like multiple things, but what I did was then I was like, well, I know I can do that. <laughs> so then I took the Katali's um, at like the percussion room where I was going to grad school and I like just had a bucket of water and I had some dental floss that I tied the Grutalis to and just recorded myself submerging various ones. And then I went into like Audacity, like this digital audio workstation, just like layered them until I created that melody with D, C, G, F, C, B flat. And then that's all from there. Yeah. If a band doesn't have Crotales, can they still do this piece? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, all of the Kratalis are doubled by um, like Glockenspiel okay. and yeah. chimes some of the time. So it's like, uh, you can only do the piece without them. Um, Cause I know they're expensive. And so I apologize, but it's just so <laughs> cool. Like I could not do it, <laughs> um, but it's okay if you don't have them. Um, and uh It'll kind of sound the same, just without the effect of the bending of the pitch. Yeah, maybe my my excuse to buy myself some crotales this year. So, yeah, um, I someone asked me recently, or if I if someone could like make them like in a metal shop, and I was like, I don't think so. I wish you could. <laughs> There's um, a reason they're expensive. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like some of my other percussion music is written for very like you know kind of less fancy stuff but unfortunately this call yeah, doesn't very doesn't renewal use like spray cans like air yeah like refillable air canisters and um i have a piece called sandbox which is written for a wooden box that you play with sandpaper um which you can i mean i made the box at home depot <laughs> so uh <laughs> something some things i write for are very um you know, uh, can be thrown together like that. But fortunately, Kratalis are very complex metal objects that cost yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. That, that's a really good question. That if anyone's interested in playing Diamond Tide, you can do it without Kratalis. So don't let that stop you. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about with Diamond Tide before we wrap up here? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I'll say like the second movement, um, similar to the first movement, uh, kind of being guided by the percussion. The second movement is the same. It's like a 
C minor triad with the flying glasses that then bends down to a B minor triad mm. back up. And the melody of the piece actually like modulates from C minor down to B minor briefly and up to C minor. So it's like all comes from the percussion, just like the first movement. Sure. All right. So um, moving on to like our wrap up here, I'm, I'm always curious about what, um, you know, educators, performers, composers, um, what they actually spend time listening to. And I, I didn't prep you for this, but I'm just kind of curious, like what, what kinds of music are you spending your time listening to? Uh, I mean, it's like all sorts of stuff. Usually it's when I'm writing something, I'll try to listen to other pieces for that same instrumentation. Yeah. Um, I was writing like a double oboe concerto inspired by Baroque music. So I was listening to a ton of like Vivaldi and Baroque music. Um, I have, I'm like quite obsessed with the harpsichord actually. Um, even after finishing that piece, I continue to listen to harpsichord music. Um, yeah. <laughs> that that uh, oboe piece is amazing. I, okay. I listened to that yesterday. Yeah, that was, and yeah, that, that's the one that has harpsichord in it, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I'd love to write like a harpsichord concerto one day and it'd be really fun. Um, and I listen to like a lot of contemporary classical music. Um, I really love the music by this composer, Timo Andres. He's like a little older than me, but um, kind of my same generation. He's just, this music's so like, it's right. It's like so crafty. He's just so good at like writing music. I don't know, it's like, it's not stupid to what say. What was that name again? Timo, T-I-M-O, and then last name Andres, A-N-D-R-E-S. Um, I don't think he has any win ensemble music, but I'm sure he'd write a really great piece if he wrote an ensemble piece. Um, and I listened, I listened to a lot of pop music as well. Um, I like the kind of simplicity of like, chord progressions but like that's like just one part of music obviously mm -hmm. it's just the chord progression um but you think of like in pop music how so many songs can use the same chord progression but it can sound completely different that's like really cool to me it's another level of creativity right to, to yeah. just come up with something new out of that simple structure yeah and it just like makes you think like about how much and music theory and you know classical music we think about like chords and harmony and that sort of thing and how we don't talk as much about things like color and um rhythm things like that like that are kind of uh lost in the wash of tonal harmony and learning all that stuff so i like um just to listen to stuff just like pop music just kind of remind me of that yeah um so what about you do you have anything new coming that you can tell us about yeah um i have well i have like a new piece for soprano and band that's being premiered at midwest if midwest happens this year <laughs> um that's being premiered by the um army field band so i'm really excited about that it's, it's like a I like adapted material from a piece for soprano and um, chamber ensemble for it. Okay. And, Does it have a title? Uh, yeah, it's it's like the Amer the English title is "Fishing in Autumn," but um, it's 
based on this Vietnamese poem that's kind of like a poem that every Vietnamese kid learns in school. And I, I mean, I was born here and grew up here, but my um, parents both remember this when they were in school. It's kind of like the equivalent of like, you know, stopping by the woods on a snowy evening or something. Um, and it's kind of excited to reconnect with that, um, like part of myself for the piece. So excited for that. Um, I have, yeah, a lot of other pieces I can't really remember right now, but they're coming. Just keep an eye out. So, um, you are you currently taking commissions? Is is that something you have room for in your schedule? Yeah, um, unfortunately, for the next like three years or so, it's pretty much full. But um, if you have a really good freshman class right now and want to have a piece for them when they're seniors, like that could probably work. So. <laughs> um, and with commissions too, things are sometimes flexible, like sometimes things don't happen or, um, you know, things can get moved around, especially like if that's one thing we learned from COVID, it's that. So um, I always say like, never feel like any hesitation to reach out to a composer, even if you think they're really busy, like you never know. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, and I got Viet Quang here on my, um, my podcast <laughs> YouTube channel. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's another thing too. It's like, maybe if you can't get a commission from a composer, there's other ways to um, interact with them or have them interact with your students. So, um, yep. always reach out. You never know. Yep. Well, I hope that we can have many more conversations in the future. Um, I, I really appreciate your time today and talking about Diamond Tide and um, kind of your life as a composer. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yep. Have a great day. You too.